Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. This is John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you joining me here in the Live Inspired Movement. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, I have amazing guests join me to share their story, their successes, their failures, their lessons, their life. You're going to hear profound and unforgettably inspiring stories, but more than that, you're going to hear practical, sound ideas that you can apply in your own life. My friends, the idea here is to wake up from accidental living so that we can do, we can become, we can impact, we can love even more profoundly through our lives, or maybe more simply said, so that we can live inspired. Well, we've made it. We made it where, O'Leary? That's a good question. We made it to the end of another season. Together, the family has grown as we've expanded to more than 300,000 downloads, just three seasons, and this is incredible. Uh, we could not do this without you and your efforts at telling your friends, your coworkers, your buddies, the ladies and gentlemen you worship with and do life with about the Live Inspired podcast. So I, my friends, am extraordinarily grateful for you. As we wrap up season three, I thought I would ask one of my children's favorite question. Anytime my wife and I are watching a movie and they walk in and they sit down next to us, generally the first question they'll ask is, what did I miss? And, you know, if you're um, 26 seconds in, it's pretty easy to bring someone up to speed. When you are 30 minutes in or an hour in or several episodes in, it's harder. So today, rather than giving you a 20-second download of what you've missed, I want to remind you, some of us, what you heard. But just because we hear it may not mean that we've taken action on it. So I want to remind you again what you heard but also to encourage you, if you haven't heard these yourself, maybe in reviewing my notes, it may encourage some of us to go back and check out these episodes that maybe we heard but didn't hear entirely, or maybe we did not bump into because other, other things got in the way. Th these episodes were remarkable. The guests were stunning. The way they shared so vulner vulnerably was inspiring. And I think the lessons transferable to us in the way we do our work our relationships, our life. The season three began with a guy that I think many of you may remember, in particular from the late 90s, early 2000s. His name is Brian Vander Ark. Brian Vander Ark was a normal Michigan kid. He loved music, loved hanging out, loved playing the guitar and singing away. He made his uh, life, though, about something even bigger than that little Howard Johnson's word originally began. He begins playing in front of 20,000 people. Plays with a little band called the Verve Pipe. When he was first discovered, he is the opening act for Kiss. Okay, it doesn't get much bigger than that. The crowd, though, these 20,000 full amphitheaters and stadiums, they weren't there to hear the Verve Pipe, man. They want to kiss. 
So the Verve Pipe and Van and Brian Vander Ark make their journey through the Howard Johnsons to these massive stadiums that want nothing to do with them. But in accepting both venues, eventually Brian figures out how to meet audiences where they are and create music that inspires, that lights them up. The song that probably is his most famous one, it actually knocked you two off of the number one spot, was The Freshman. For the life of me, I cannot believe we'd ever die for these sins. We were merely freshmen. He felt like a king on top of the world. And anytime, by the way, you feel like a king on top of the world, Brian said, you are setting yourself up for the great long fall. Brian spent the next several years enduring that great long fall. And he said, sometimes ego happens without you even knowing it. He looks back on those days and he wonders, where did that come from, man? Because that wasn't him. That wasn't him. I asked Brian if he ever got sick of playing the freshman. And he says, no, man. How can you get sick of playing a song that brings so much joy into people's life? How can you get sick of playing a music, the song you wrote that people are now singing back to you? He eventually realizes, though, as the fall continues to cascade down, what actually matters. It wasn't the stuff. It wasn't the speed with which he was moving or the status that he was achieving. It was the relationships. It was life. It was the good stuff. And so he sells all of his junk He buys an RV, he travels around, he plays in small coffee shops, he has the time of his life, and in some regards, it's what he's still doing today. He he plays in living rooms occasionally at people's houses, not only as a musician, but now as a guy who understands what actually matters in life. Brian Vanderark traveled around the world as a rock star, now as a speaker, as a writer, as a musician as a guy who understands what really matters and how to share it with the audiences that he's in front of. It was a phenomenal interview of a guy that I fell in love with as a college freshman myself. And after hearing his heart and hearing the manner in which he shared it, I fell in love with him all over again a couple decades later. So Brian Vanderar kicked off season one. The music was beautiful, but it got in some regards even more beautiful when we brought in our guest, Chris Hogan. If you've ever wondered how to feel insecure about the way your voice sounds as a man or as a podcast host or as a speaker, I encourage you to interview Chris Hogan. Because out of anyone I've ever heard or interviewed, there is no one more articulate who has a more beautiful voice than Chris Hogan. Information, uh, for just information's sake, is simply just information. But information that gets applied in your life time and time again gives us an opportunity for it to become what's called wisdom. And I think wisdom is the difference between our yesterdays and our tomorrows. He is as beautiful, uh, the voice that he carries. It's his heart. It's his message. It's his life that attracted me to bring him on to our Live Inspired couch. I first met Chris Hogan at a Dave Ramsey event. Dave Ramsey brought Chris on to talk about how to retire inspired. Chris is an expert at managing what we have today, at where we are, at where we want to go, and the best manner in which we can get there. Uh, Chris learned this through the School of Hard Knocks. He grew up in an ordinary family, played football, had some great coaches, but he realized you got to grab the opportunity 
and avoid the mistakes. Chances, he said, are 50-50. When pursued, an opportunity an opportunity will lead you somewhere even better. I'm going to say that again. This is from Chris's grandma. Chances, coin flip, baby, it's 50-50. But when pursued, an opportunity will lead you somewhere better. Chris reminds us that failure is when you don't accomplish a goal and you stop. Not succeeding is when you gave 100%, you did not reach the goal. With maturity and with wisdom, you realize in pursuit of it, you improved. You moved down the path. And what Chris is really saying, even if you don't achieve that ultimate success in racing toward it, you become an even better version of yourself. Chris said that he understands that his example speaks louder than his words. And because of that, he is extraordinarily aware of how he shows up, of what he does, of how he treats those around him, because he wants to be a role model. He wants to inspire people to not only retire inspired, but to live inspired. Chris Hogan's podcast, whether you are looking down at your financial picture right now, or you're looking down at your life. Uh, the Hogan episode is one you absolutely will want to check out. After Chris Hogan, I brought in a gentleman who I've looked up to as an author and as a speaker for really as long as I've been in this industry of self-mastery, of trying to figure out how to do life and work and relationship even better. His name is Andy Andrews. I first bumped into Andrew Andrews in a book called The Traveler's gift. If you haven't yet picked out this book, I encourage you to run by the library or wherever you pick up your books and and get the traveler's gift. But I, I didn't know the full extent of Andy's story. Andy learned at a young age that quitting is a habit. There's no penalty, he said, for quitting today. Everyone just says, you know what, you're tired, you're overworked, you got too much scheduled, go ahead and quit. But when you persist without exception, he reminded us, there's something in that, that you figure out the way. You do the next best thing, and it's lasting. Andy's dad taught him this lesson when Andy wanted to quit the football program. Andy had no idea that his dad's insisting that he would not quit football would end up serving him so beautifully years later. Andy in a series of just a couple years, would lose his father. He would lose his mother. He would drop out of college. He would end up homeless under a bridge. And it was in this place of darkness, in this place of despair, in this place of loneliness and brokenness, that Andy realized again that quitting is a habit and that he was not going to quit on life. He mentioned that it was about becoming you find, even in this dark place, even when you're under the bridge, that you don't have to be a quitter. You don't have to give in to the darkness. You can choose to pull yourself back up and to become a better version of yourself. And he meets various individuals, of coach, of course, while he's under this bridge. But he meets a gentleman who instructs him to become a voracious reader to pick up books, Andy, to go by the library, Andy. It's free to meet some of the greatest men and women throughout the, the halls of history and to learn from them. Well, Andy learns from them. He reads over 200 books during this time. He also writes his own book. 
It eventually is picked up by a lone publisher. No one else wants it. It's called The Traveler's Gift. And today, this little gift, this little book, after being turned down by 50 publishers, has been translated into 40 languages. More than a million copies have sold. Andy reminds us that we may not be able to fix other people, but we have this great, limitless opportunity. Every morning we are able to greet that rising sun to fix ourselves. It was a great conversation. Andy Andrews is a dynamic dude. He's certainly worth following online and reading his stuff, so consider checking him out. We shift gears from Andy in the South to Christine Hassler in the West. Hassler lives in California today. She is, in her own right, a guru, a spiritual teacher, a coach, a therapist, a guide, a friend. Christine learned from her own experiences of what real success looks like. She was racing up the corporate ladder, and the lady that she reported into was on the elevator, literally, on the elevator up with her one day. This friend of hers, a colleague at work, mentioned that her daughter just said yesterday her first word. So the daughter speaks her first word, and Christine celebrates this fact with her friend, and she says, Christine, what was her first word? Was it mom? Was it dad? Was it, you know, hello? What, what, what was it? And the friend looks back, uh, looking down at her notes, so doesn't even look Christine in the eye, and says, uh, the first word was hola, which is a great first word if you speak Spanish. Christine's boss did not speak Spanish, was not trying to teach her daughter Spanish. What Christine realized that day as the elevator door opened, that Christine's colleague had spent so much time away from home, away from her children, that the first word was being taught not by the mother, but by the nanny. And I realized, like Christine, that we all have times in our life when you just got to put the accelerator down and get the work done. But Christine realized that this was not the path that she wanted to go down in life. And so she took the elevator ride back down. She made a mighty change in her life. She spent some time reflecting on what mattered, on who mattered, on how to get there. And she became an expert at owning her life. She realized that thoughts and habits matter. And she used discipline to transform the education and awareness into integration in her life. She said that just having the information, it's like psychological entertainment. That's not enough. It comes down to discipline, and it comes down to new habits, and it comes down to using the education and awareness and then transforming it into integration. I'm listening to these podcasts. I'm reading these books. But how do I take action and apply it to my life? Because just having the information is just kind of like psychological entertainment. Mm -hmm. We need to like feel our feelings, change our thoughts, shift our actions, deepen our connection to some kind of inner guidance, inner compass, higher power. And I think that a lot of people, and I was like this too, think that if they just have an aha moment, things will change. Aha moments are great. Yes. They're amazing. But they're the catalyst totally agree. for then taking the action and making the change. She talked about how so frequently today we numb our experiences in life. 
we vaguely and blankly tune in to social media or into television or into drinking or drugs or white noise in the background rather than really celebrating and digging into who we are and what matters. She says that no means easier. When you gossip or when you watch television, you can just be entertained. If you listen, engage with content that makes you feel, she said, you got to process those feelings, and that's difficult. But in that process, in embracing the gift of our story, we can become better. We can realize what matters, and we can do life better going forward. She mentioned ultimately that we either get to control and resist life or dive in and move with it. And Christine invites each of us to dive in and move with the flow of life. Christine Hassler is a life coach. And if you're looking for one or you're looking for areas to get some phenomenal ideas on doing life even better, Christine Hassler is where you ought to turn next. As far as we were west in California, we went even farther. We, we went past Hawaii, past the Fiji Islands. We'd made a left-hand turn south, and we picked up our next guest in Australia. It was Janine Shepard. And when I had the opportunity to interview Janine, I myself was under the weather. The good news is, on this episode, she carried the day. I had a cold. I had a cough. I had a migraine. I was struggling. And Christine, uh, I'm sorry, and Janine rhymes with Christine, was lit up. She shared the story of being an Olympic athlete, of training for the Winter Olympics, of pursuing this ultimate goal in her life, of climbing this hill literally on her bike, seeing the sunrise, seeing the majestic beauty within that sunshine, and then it all faded to black. Janine was knocked off her bike, a truck hit her. Truck broke seemingly every bone in her body. This young woman is raced to the hospital, given little chance of surviving. And yet she goes on to survive this unsurvivable experience. She had a moment where she came face to face with what she calls is that death experience. She saw the light. She saw God. She, she saw where she should go next, and she looked down, and she saw her broken body. She saw her family gathered around it, and she made a decision to return to her broken body, to fight forward. When she woke up back in this body, back in this life, she was in intense pain everywhere. It hurt everywhere. She also woke up into a body that was not at all like the one she had left the day she took that bike ride. She could not move anything from her waist down. And she said, though, that the gift of rock bottom is that once you get there, there's nowhere to hide. It doesn't show you who you are. It shows you who you are not. She talks about letting go of that dream to be an Olympian. And in that moment, she realized the only way to heal came not from running from the experience, but living through it. Loving the hills is a philosophy I developed very early on. Uh, you know, if I can embrace the hills and love the hills, then I, you know, I have an edge over my competitors. They made me physically strong, but they actually made me mentally tough. No doubt. And you don't have to like them, but you have to love them. And loving them is knowing that there's a deeper purpose in the hills. 
you know, in the challenges in life. I always say the magic happens on the other side of the hill. Somewhere as she is discerning what she's going to do next in her life, from her wheelchair, she looks up and she sees an airplane, and that's when she realizes it's her eureka moment. Aha! Uh-huh. That's what I'll do. I'll fly. This young lady who is broken and damaged and unable to move her legs decides that day she's going to fly. She's going to fly. And it is this goal that gets her to race forward into life. It is this goal that allows her to do the therapy that was too painful to do before. It was this goal, as Viktor Frankl would say, that became her why, her operating mandate. Her, it allowed this incredible, incredible woman, Janine Shepard, to train, to work out, to become. She becomes not only a pilot, she eventually becomes a spouse she becomes a speaker. She becomes an author. She becomes a great inspiration. She also becomes not only an Australian. We take her into the United States, baby. Come on, Janine. She moves over here, and she continues to impact from her home, from the mountains, with her spouse at her side, reminding the rest of us. Here it goes again. The gift of rock bottom is that there is nowhere to hide. It doesn't show us who we are It shows us who we're not. Christine has become someone who was even more equipped to change the world than that that incredible athlete who endured that shocking and tragic event. Uh, For those of us going through a difficult time in our own life right now, I encourage you to check out the Janine Shepard podcast. You are going to love her. You're also going to love her accent. So, Janine, we're coming your way. It's a great episode. We then brought on Bill Courtney. I feel like we're having a a global travel around the world. We've gone to the south, southern panhandle of Florida, out to California, Australia. Now we're in Memphis, Tennessee, when we pick up Coach Bill Courtney. When you tune into Bill Courtney's interview, buckle up because you're going to need it. You're going to need an open heart. You're going to also need to realize that in spite of all that you've been through, all the struggles that you have endured or endured today, enough with the excuses. This man jumped out the window of his own house when his fourth father, right? This, this is the, the fourth man who has been a father figure in his life, shoots at him down the hallway. Bill had a very difficult childhood, goes off to college, falls in love with football and coaching, comes home, starts his own family, and out of necessity, he starts his own business. He had four babies in four years with his wife, and he was just working like a dog just to keep up to put food on the table. Well, in the midst of all of this, he wants to volunteer. He wants to serve as a football coach because that's his passion. He loves coaching. He picks up a school near his place of work called Manassas. Manassas is in North Memphis, Tennessee. It's impoverished. Uh, It's a difficult neighborhood. Bill Courtney steps in as this coach. And for some reason, this program has won, I think, four games in the previous eight years. So this is not a winning program that Coach Courtney is stepping into. But his heart is even less for football than it is for young men. He starts coaching up and inspiring and equipping these boys not just to play football, 
but to do life. And, and there's a turning point in this season, this first one there, when he's speaking to one of the guys who was bought in, and he's asking this gentleman, hey, why won't the other kids get in line? Why won't they step forward? Why won't they believe? And the player, one of the team captains, says back, Coach, they want to find out if you're a turkey guy. Turkey guy, Courtney says back. And it was driving me crazy. So I went to my guy. Every coach has a guy. And I went to my guy and I said, Bo, what do I got to do to get that half the team to buy into the important stuff like you're half the team? Everybody's being cool with the football, but I need them to buy into the important stuff. And Bo and I had had some pretty real talks, and he just said, I'll coach, just keep doing what you're doing dismissively. And if you have kids, you know exactly how that response was. And I said, no, Bo, straight up. Tell me what's up. He said, coach, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I said, coach, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Bo, you're not going to hurt my feelings. He said, all right, coach, real talk. I said, real talk. He said, they're trying to figure out if you're a turkey person or not. And I said, okay, you're telling me that these guys are buying into football but not buying into the important stuff because they need to, they're trying to figure out if I'm a turkey person. He said, yeah. I said, I don't understand what you're saying. He said, coach, every Thanksgiving and Christmas, people roll into our neighborhoods and they drop off turkeys and hams and gifts and we take them because we ain't got none. Hmm. But then they leave and we never see them again. And it makes you wonder if they're doing that because they really care about us or they're doing that to make themselves feel good. Hmm. And he looked me dead in the eyes and he says, Coach, what the hell are you doing in North Memphis, bro? And I think that it, that is a completely true story, but I think anecdotally it is exactly why I stayed at Manassas for seven years, because I'll be damned if I was going to have those kids think that I was like everybody else they'd seen in their life that was there just to sensationalize them and use them for their own edification and then bolt. Bill Courtney reminded us that, uh, yeah, we need turkeys. We need presence in these communities, but we need presence in these communities. We need men and women to step forward and to not give up, to be relentless in their service, to love and inspire and encourage. Bill's story became so phenomenal that a group of movie makers heard about it. They came in, they recorded him for hundreds of hours during his season. I think it's his seventh season there at Manassas, and they made a movie called Undefeated. And the Oscar goes to Undefeated, T.J. Martin, Dan Lindsay, and Rich Middlemont. It ends up, though, that Undefeated is not about wins or losses. It's about not being defeated by your circumstances. Courtney reminds us that every single day is an opportunity. We all have struggles, but every day the sun comes up is an opportunity to get it right. I I remember when I was watching that movie with my wife, Beth, uh, there's a scene in the second game when they are losing. I think it's like 24-0 at halftime. Coach Bill Courtney takes his guys off the sideline and he starts screaming at them in this motivational tone. Boys, 24 at nothing. You've done nothing right. This is a phenomenal opportunity, a phenomenal opportunity to get it right in the second half. I'm not going to tell you what happens in the second half of that game or the second half of that season, but I'm going to tell you that Bill Courtney got it right that it was a phenomenal opportunity that these boys started to realize that it wasn't just about wins and losses, but about not being defeated by their circumstances. Bill Courtney also challenged us to remind ourselves that character is not about how you handle your success. It's about how you handle your, your failures. 
And finally, Bill Courtney said, look in the mirror and say, I have a chance tomorrow to make it better. I have a chance tomorrow to make it better. The only thing that we can control during the remaining days of our life is how we show up. It's the only thing that matters. Uh, Coach Bill Courtney inspired me at least to strive to not be a turkey person. And I'm convinced, my friends, when you tune in to that episode, Bill Courtney's, you will also realize, hey, enough turkey people. Let's be change agents for good. We moved from Memphis, Tennessee, to, I believe, Miami, Florida, when we picked up an incredible guest in Layla Ali. Layla challenged us to be a powerhouse. I've been through um, getting in trouble. I've been through being molested, um, which, you know, what is it, the numbers, like one in four girls? I don't know if it's changed now. Um, just letting them know that you can go through all of these things. You don't have to let them define you, and you can still go on, be strong, you know, find um, what it is that you were put on this earth to do that special thing that God put in all of us um, and, and, and just be a powerhouse. She is the daughter of the great Muhammad Ali. She learned a lot of lessons from her dad, but she learned an equal amount of lessons from her mother. Well, my mother and, uh, married my father when she was really young. She was, I think they met when she was 18 and married when she was 19. Okay. Um, so you can imagine uh, that being that young and Muhammad Ali was courting you and wants to marry you, right? Not <laughs> yes. only, not I, personally, just, I can't imagine, but no, I'm, I'm You sure. can't imagine, but I'm saying the women listening can yes. imagine. Because uh, I can look back on the mistakes my mother's made and I think, man, she's just a baby, you know, when he met her. And this isn't just like the situation where, oh, he was a celebrity with a lot of money. He was Muhammad Ali. You know, he was beautiful. He was handsome. He was respected. He was like the man, you yes. know, he's a champion. He was... He was um, somebody who, who stood up for social justice, all these things. He was everything. So, of course, you'd want to marry him, you know? She learned the kind of individual that she did not want to be, but she also learned the kind of individual that she wanted to be. She made some incredible mistakes in her childhood, in her life, and yet she was not defined by those mistakes. Those mistakes instead taught her to fight back and to become the person that she ultimately was called to be. Layla became a champion boxer. She is a social media success. She's started her own cookbook series. She's an incredible mom and spouse and leader and lady and inspiration and speaker and writer. And she's the kind of podcast that when you get off listening to, when you hear this entire thing, you're going to want to hear more. You're going to want to hit playback. You're going to want to hear how she did it and what it means for the rest of us. Layla Ali, great episode. Check it out. Followed directly with Lolly Daskal. Lolly is an amazing woman. Grew up in this eclectic little community outside of Manhattan, but a world away. My community, it felt like it was had a 20-block radius um, because in my community, we didn't speak English. We spoke Yiddish and people spoke German and Hungarian and it felt a lot like we were living in Europe. It didn't feel like we were living in the United States. So it felt very, very small. And actually, we weren't that involved in the outside world. We mm-hmm. were very much a very small community involved in what we were doing and how we were living. So it was until later on in my life, I figured, oh, there's anything outside these 20 blocks yes. radius. And she realized in order for me to figure out who I am, I'm going to have to leave home. So she leaves home. 
She figures out who she is. She becomes a voracious learner in life. She reads. She grows. She expands. She's open. Her mind and eyes are wide open to the possibility in front of her each day. She, she talks about ways to overcome the imposter syndrome. But that's the idea of us feeling undeserving. Because I used to feel like the imposter, that I didn't feel worthy or deserving. So the ritual has two part to it. The first part is I think about all the things that I did well that day. And I used to write them down. Now I use them in the form of a meditation. Lolly, who did you serve today? Who did you make an impact with? How did you make a difference today? And I usually take account of all the of all those things. And the reason I do that is because I do have negative messages in my mind, but I'm trying to even out the messages with all the negativity that I might have. I will now have some positive messages. So when it goes to being negative, I could say, well, you know, Lolly, you did something really great yesterday. They told you that you made an impact. They said you made a difference. And so it's almost this inner dialogue Mm -hmm. that I have with myself to counteract the negative messages in my mind. The second part of that ritual is a very important part of the ritual. I ask myself every night, Lolly, what can you do tomorrow than you were better today? And by doing that, I'm only measuring myself against myself. I'm not looking outside. I'm not saying, what did John do that was so great? What did Richard do? What did Jane do? I'm asking about Lolly. I'm thinking about Lolly. When I ask myself, what can I do better tomorrow than I did today? I'm celebrating what I did today, but tomorrow I'm going to do better. I am now leveraging who I am, so tomorrow I can take myself to the next level. In other words, don't measure up against someone else. Measure up our idea of success against ourselves. Measuring who we are today, who we were yesterday, and who ultimately we can become tomorrow. Which led to Charlie Plum. Charlie Plum does life about as well as anyone I've ever bumped into, and he came from circumstances that are about as indescribably painful as anyone I've ever bumped into. Charlie Plum, this man flew 75 missions during Vietnam, and on his 75th and final is shot down. I ejected, my co-pilot ejected, and and uh, we found ourselves in parachutes floating down over enemy territory. Spends six years in a prison camp, enduring hardship and starvation and attacks and brutality and torture. We didn't go into in the podcast, but he, he hints that you'll want to hear a little bit more about what he went through. And yet he never gave up. He talked about his purpose. He talked about knowing that God worked through all things and was working through this. He talked about his vision and his why. His vision as a prison camp survivor was, one, not to be a victim. He was reminded by the the leaders around him in camp that they weren't victims, that they were victors, that they were able to own their life, and that they were going to come back with honor. They were going to return with honor. He was reminded of the human interaction and the power within it. Although many of them were kept in solitary confinement, some for years, the way they would make sure one another knew that there were others in there, others doing life, is they would knock on walls. They would whisper. that They would pull strings back and forth from, from camp to camp. They would make sure that the others in camp knew they were not alone. 
they also had vision for returning home with honor toward a dream, toward a life that would be bigger and better and unfathomably beautiful than the one they were currently enduring. Uh, It was a podcast and an interview with someone that I have always looked up to since, since the age of, I think, 12 or 13. Charlie Plum has been one of my heroes. And for me to sit across from that guy to interview him, this hero in life, not just because of his military service, but because of how he did life after coming home. Check out the Charlie Plum interview. What did you miss? Well, you missed the Charlie Plum interview if you haven't yet tuned into it. And then finally, my friend, I got to share with you a personal story. uh, Many times I'm asked, hey, what, what do you do for a living? Sometimes I'm asked this on a plane and I talk about doing a podcast, writing a book, speaking, Uh, One of the individuals that I write about in On Fire, that I speak about frequently when I do uh, live presentations, is Jack Buck. I I shared during this most recent podcast the phenomenal life that Jack Buck was, the way he impacted so many lives, including mine. I share the story of how he came into my life the day after I was burned and how that gentleman came back into my life day after day after day, not only for the five months that I was in hospital, but for the next 14 years that followed. This man inspired me to first live, to dream, to eventually write, to go on and do amazing things like graduate grade school and high school and college, he shows up graduation night with a gift that I will invite you to tune into that podcast to hear what he gave. But he taught me that ultimately life is not about what you get. It's about what you give. It's not about success. It's about boldly stepping forward with significance. It's about touching the least among us as profoundly as we possibly can. Jack Buck has been dead and gone and in heaven now for 15 years this month, 15 years, and yet his life is alive and well, not just in his radio calls, which are terrific, but in the manner in which he treated coworkers, janitors, loved ones, children, uh, the radio booth, cardinal players, radio calls, and kids like John O'Leary. If you've not yet heard the story of Jack Buck, do yourself a favor and tune in. Tune in to Jack Buck's interview. It will have you dancing forward with the question, what more can I do? And then demanding from yourself an answer to ensure that tomorrow is even better than today. My friends, it was a whirlwind of a season with some remarkable guests, and yet the guests are hollow without listeners to enjoy them. I am so humbled and so grateful to do this podcast, knowing that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people tuning in from around the country and around the world inspired because they are now waking up from accidental living and choosing to live inspired lives. You are part of that community. You are part of that movement. You are part of this collection of friends. And my friend, I'm so grateful you are. If you enjoy these podcasts, 
if they inspire you, if they elevate the way you view your day and the way you view your lives, pass the, the baton forward. Tell your friends, tell your coworkers, share it in social media. Let's create a ripple effect of good. Let's make sure that these interviews that we've shared in season three and the ones that are coming in season four, that we realize that the best days, not only for the Live Inspired podcast, but for our lives, for our work, for our relationship, for our countries, that the best days are yet to come. My friends, as I go horse after talking with you for 40 minutes, and you get inspired to live these messages of these amazing guests that we've had on. Thank you for tuning in this time, for this time. And until next time, this is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live inspired.